0: Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, good morning.
1: I'm Frank Proctor, the sous chef of the garden, all set to check in with our master gardener, Charlie Dobbin, who is in her lovely new home in Prince Edward County. Well,
2: hi there, Charlie. Well, hello there, old timer. Did you have fun? Did you have a fun day <laughs> yesterday?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, well, thank you for that. Yes, indeed. Uh, yesterday, I celebrated my 78th birthday, had a great day, had a visit from my youngest son, Toby, and his family.
2: Did your older son, Kelly, the policeman, have a chance to pop out?
1: No, unfortunately, both he and his partner, Kitty, who's a nurse at St. Joe's, they were both working yesterday. They probably had a nice chat on the phone, which is nice.
2: Oh, good. And did you get my happy birthday note?
1: Charlie, I did. As a matter of fact, I want to thank all the station folks in particular who took time to wish me well, and I've just got to give a shout out to one guy in particular, Gene Stevens, our music director and host of Vintage Favorites on Sundays. He sent me a terrific note saying he listens into the Garden Show faithfully every week. You know, Gene used to be my boss many years ago in St. (laughs) Catharines.
2: Gene is great. Actually, Gene is the one who hired me to do the Garden Show here on Zuma Radio. A oh, very wise move, oh, yes. Oh, those years ago. its <laughs> a long time ago. Um, so tell me, Mr. Proctor, so due to your advanced age, do you require me to speak louder or slower or, or even add a descriptive term like the venerable <laughs> Mr. P? <laughs>
1: no. Uh, Frankie is good enough. Thank you. <laughs> now, tell me, Charlie, have you been to a garden center yet?
2: No, no, and double no. I'm waiting for the crowds to thin out. Uh, Or for it to be pouring rain, because that, in my experience, the best time to show up in a garden center in May, do it when it's raining because there's fewer people there. But uh, no, lots of heat and sunshine here, so I'm sure they're far too busy for me to line up. Uh, I have been busy transplanting, though, uh, a bunch of seedlings that have been coming along nicely, getting them into bigger pots. I don't have any gardens yet to plant anything out, but uh, I've got some really great plans on the go. I've got some great people lined up, scheduled to come here later in June and do some magic. How about you and Shirley? What have you been up to?
1: Well, we live, quite, as you know, quite near Newmarket, so we're quite a bit above Highway 7. And Shirley says she won't do any planting until June arrives. Apparently, we're always guaranteed to have at at least one night where uh, frost is a problem.
2: Yeah, I can see that. Yep.
1: Now, how are things shaping up in Prince Edward County as far as the weather is concerned?
2: Well, I'll tell you, there's no chance of frost. It, it's been, but well, not today. No, no, it's baking hot here and, uh, and lots of sun. And, uh, yeah, you know, we did have some rain and it's, it's interesting. This is our first spring here, right? We, we, um, moved here last August. So, of course, we visited in the spring, but we've never actually been here day after day. And, uh, you know, the leaves have been slowly coming out on the trees. And then all of a sudden we got some rain overnight a couple of nights ago and all this heat. And everything, the the weeds have doubled in size, the leaves have doubled, everything's like, woo, big growth happening. So, yep, it's definitely spring here.
1: And uh, you've got some folks coming out to your place to work on the land there, have you
2: not? Yeah, well, I do. I mean, we've got an empty, uh, completely empty landscape here. So I've got... Hardscaper coming out in June, I've got a soft scaper coming out in June and we've been starting to meet with some of the, the turf people. So because of the size of the property, um, you can't afford to saw it, something like this. We're looking at hydro-seeding the lawns, so I'm just doing a lot of interviewing of different suppliers to figure out who to hire to, to do our, our lawns in September. Right.
1: Hey, I guess I'd better give a little spiel here about how this show is produced. Good idea. All righty. Since we can't do our show live from the Zoomerplex in Liberty Village, we record the shows on Tuesday mornings to be broadcast on Saturday morning.
2: So that means... There's no live phone calls.
1: That's correct. But what we do need are emails. Now, you've sent me a batch that you'll be dealing with very shortly. And for next week's show, we'll need more questions. So, folks, please send your email questions to this address, c.dobbin, that's D-O-B-B-I-N, at mzmedia.com.
2: And if you want to check out some of those wonderful tips that some of our callers have shared with us over the years, they are available on my website CharlieDobbin.com
1: Excellent point. Another good tip is the fact that listeners can check out any garden show we've aired by going to Zoomer radio, find the bod- podcasts they're all listed there by date.
2: I know, all, all 14 years of them or 13 years of them. Yeah. <laughs> So listen, I just heard our main tech guy, Joel, who we couldn't do the show without. He's whispering in my ear that it's time to take a break.
1: All righty then. You are listening to The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio, AM 740, and in downtown Toronto, 96.7 FM. Charlie and I will be right back after a word from our sponsors.
0: Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, for scythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, flocks, hollyhocks, tulips, and williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well,
1: Charlie, time to get to some of these emails now. Got a really interesting question here from Michael. Who says, uh, dear Charlie? Love your show. Glad you and Frank are keeping at it throughout the pandemic. But I really miss the live call-ins. Oh, so do we, don't we? Huh? Anyway, my question's about the optimum time to transplant spring bulbs. That is, to relocate from one spot to another in the garden. I have snowdrops, hard to establish, uh, growing where they are no longer. Uh, best appreciated I'd like to relocate them so there are some issues and questions I have Michael says I need to accurately locate them for transplanting purposes so now well, post bloom with plenty of evident leaves it's the easiest time in terms of local uh, locate issues number two if I disrupt them now, will it interfere with their growing cycle? And if I wait until the fall, they'll only be bulbs, no leaves, and I may have a more difficult time moving them, and maybe damage some of the leaves. Uh, They'll no longer be present to facilitate the move and limit damage to the bulbs. And finally, his fourth point here, can I just dig up a clump of earth with them fully intact as they are now, leaves and bulbs, and relocate them in an appropriate sized hole and hope for the best in their new location? Or is that process a recipe for disaster and I must wait for the fall and risk damaging the bulbs in their autumn condition? There's a, a note from Michael who says, hey, your help would be much appreciated
2: (laughs) boy that's a a long very well thought out question i would say (laughs) so thank you for that michael and it's a good question because it happens sometimes we end up we have to do some construction or we've got you know something happening on the property where we have to move something and we worry about it not being the optimal time to do it uh and or or a plant you know, trees grow. Suddenly we've got a lot more shade in a spot that we didn't used to have shade. So, again, we have to move things. When it comes to these bulbs, I think his his final idea, uh, point number four, the idea of digging up the big clump of earth uh, with the bulbs in those in that clump of earth and then moving it and popping it back into the ground in a pre-dug hole, that's probably your best route to go because you you want two things to happen here. You want the bulbs to maximize the amount of photosynthesis that they can do before they go dormant for the summer. That process takes six to eight weeks. So the green leaves will be green for a period of weeks, but they'll slowly turn yellow and slowly just disappear. So that's why transplanting in the fall is so tough to do. So uh, you have, uh, I would say two options. One is the idea of digging up the clumps of earth with the green leaves very obvious and the bulbs in the clump move them or wait until they're just starting to almost disappear. So the, the leaves are yellow, but the leaves are still there. At that point, you can dig them up and then remove them from the soil so you'll have the naked bulbs, take them to where you want to plant them and right away you can transplant them at that point. And of course, you'll just snip off the yellow leaves as you're doing this process of lifting and replanting. So don't worry that you have to do fall um, planting of bulbs. It's just that that's when they're available. Bulbs come from, most, most bulbs come from uh, Holland, from the Netherlands, and they come over in big ships in August. So they're available for sale in September. So we always think, the only time to plant bulbs is in September. But no, you can plant them now. If you own them, you can plant them or transplant them, as the case may be.
1: Okay, Um, here's a note from Rick Hurd, who's listening in from Whitby, Ontario, says, Charlie, we've not had much success with tulips. We had beautiful dark purple tulips for years, and this year all we're getting is the leaves. They're in the bunch that we previously had, but simply leaves. Also, there are individual tulip leaves scattered around the yard with no bulbs underneath. Any comments would be appreciated. I was wondering if a peony that is close to the tulips is interfering.
2: Hmm. Hmm. No, I wouldn't worry about that peony. The peony's probably not doing any interference whatsoever. I mean, remember what's going on. Like I just said, the the bulbs flower and then the leaves come up and the leaves are green and they are photosynthesizing and fattening up the bulbs to flower and grow next spring. So this is the time as the flowers are dying down on any of our bulbs to fertilize them. And of course your peonies are just coming up and are probably in bud at this point as well. So it's spring, it's time to fertilize. Whether you're spreading compost or composted manure or you're out there with your miracle grow, whatever it is, Do it now, it's spring. So you'll feed those bulbs for next year. And of course, you'll just have that much better of peonies and blooms this spring. So why would this be, uh, you know, we went from dark purple tulips to suddenly nothing but leaves. I'm wondering if maybe it, it is that lack of nutrient that they just have not, those bulbs did not fatten up from last year. I'm wondering if perhaps last spring, Rick and or his partner got too excited to get rid of you know tulips aren't that pretty as they're the flowers are great but the leaves are not that pretty they're green and then they they get very pale green and yellow and streaky and not pretty at all so sometimes people get impatient they cut the leaves off too early so i'm wondering if maybe that happened which again affects the ability of the bulb for the following season or could it just be that it was so wet last fall There could have been some rot if you've got a really moist area or poorly drained soil bulbs will sometimes rot if it's just wet and we had a very wet spring last spring we had a very wet fall last fall so i'm just wondering if maybe that's what's happened there so you know what uh fertilize for now uh if you want to dig down and see what's going on check and go under one of those leaves and dig up see what you can find what the bulb looks like that's down there is it just tiny and immature or is it truly uh just kind of shriveled up and disappeared so that's my best suggestion for a, a puzzle like that.
1: Okay. Thank you, uh, Rick, for that question. And uh, we're coming up to our next little break here on the show. But a reminder that we do need new questions. Uh, and you can offer them up via email. Please send your questions for next week's show to C.dobbin. D-O-B-B-I-N at Mzmedia.com. All right, we'll look forward to hearing from you. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Frank Proctor. Charlie and I will return in
0: moments here on Zoomer Radio. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is the Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, we've got a lovely note here from Leslie Morgan in
1: Brampton says, hi, Charlie. Uh, How is the best way to look after or hibernate my Easter lily and poinsettia to get them to bloom again? Can I put the lily outside? And she adds, I have not watered them for over a week now.
2: And that's from Leslie in Brampton. So, okay, okay, Leslie, get your watering can right now and water those poor plants. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a photograph that that Leslie included with her email, and look how sad they are. They're like bone dry. These poor little plants. Yes, you you can't force them into hibernation or dormancy at this point. Um, the the lily wants to grow. It has green leaves, just like those tulips we were talking about. Green leaves need to be allowed to remain on bulbs to fatten the bulbs up for next year. So get some water on that lily. You know, obviously, let it, don't let it sit in water, but thoroughly moisten the soil. Let it drain out. And for sure, get that outside and plan to plant it outside. You could plant it today if you wanted to. Um, or uh, personally, I would wait. I would wait until all the leaves have turned yellow. It's still going to be a couple of weeks yet. Once it's completely dormant, because... As it starts to turn yellow, you're not gonna water it as much, and eventually it's completely dormant, all yellow, cut off all the yellow, and then bury that bulb outside And you're gonna bury it down a couple of inches under the surface of the soil, pointy end up, well-drained location, lots of sun in the spring, and it should come up no problem next year and bloom for you in your garden. It won't bloom at Easter, it'll bloom a little later. Usually, lilies will bloom in June. So, of course, the Easter lilies we get at Easter have been forced to grow and bloom for Easter, and they're all grown in greenhouses. Now, the poinsettia, on the other hand, is not a bulb. That is a plant growing in a pot and needs to be watered and needs to be looked after and cared for, just like you would any, any house plant. Again, the poinsettia can go outside. Uh, I would put it into a shady location. I would leave it in the pot. You can actually just, I've sometimes I take my poinsettia and I, I bury it out in the garden, In I bury the pot out in the garden. So it looks like it's growing in the garden, but it's not really. It's just, it's there in a fairly shady spot. And then End of August, I dig it up out of the garden, leaving it in the pot, wash it all off, get it inside before frost. Because it will die if it's subjected to too much cold. And, and then it's just a question of, um, t- of light. So it's the 12 hours on, 12 hours off, light versus dark for about five to six weeks. And the poinsettia will turn color again. But for now, it's a green plant. So let it be green. Let it grow. Fertilize. Pinch the tips, get it so it's bushy, so it's a good-looking plant, and do remember to water them, please.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, I have a note here from a repeat customer, uh, Aldina from uh, Cambridge. That that name just Goodness. popped off the page to me here. She says, uh, Hi, Charlie. I have a, a lot of clover on my front yard that I want to get rid of. We are going to have a lawn care company come to spray it sometime in the near future. My question is... When do you think's the best time to spray and should we mow the lawn before spraying or not? Your answer is really appreciated and keep those shows coming. Thank you, Aldina. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yes. Thank you, Aldina. She's becoming a real regular. Yes, indeed. I think we're, we're getting a question a week from Aldina. Uh, okay. My my question back at Aldina is why do you want to get rid of the clover? Like, really? Why does clover get such a bad rap? Clover is an excellent, excellent ground cover uh, for various reasons that I have mentioned in the past. But I, I don't think I'm going to convince Aldina to keep her clover. She's pretty sounds pretty convinced she wants to get rid of it. When is the best time? The best time to get rid of any growing plant on your property that you don't want on your property, so it could be a dandelion, it could be clover, is as early in the season as you can, meaning spring. The earlier in the season, like now, the plants are young, the leaves are soft, the growth is soft, the um there's lots of vigor in the plants but the because they're not sort of toughened up by extreme drought or extreme weather of any kind they are at their most susceptible to die if treated with appropriate chemicals to do so if that's what you want to do uh what the lawn care company would be using i do not know uh But here's a couple suggestions on how to get rid of things. I've mentioned this before, the, the suffocation idea. Is it possible that you could put a tarp over top of where that clover is? Nice, like first you would mow everything low. You would cover the areas where the clover is and literally block the light and block rain and block air and everything from those plants and they will die. So that's a chemical-free way way of killing anything that's in your garden that you don't want there, is suffocation. Uh, We also call it solarization, because the sun is beating down typically on the tarp and baking what's underneath and and killing as well. Um, Now, I do see, I'm not a big fan of homemade um, herbicides or pesticides, But there does seem to be a bit of a a trend and a, a commonality of a recipe, which is vinegar, some dish soap, so a small amount of dish soap, you know, just the liquid and water mixed together and then spot sprayed when it's not windy. So spot sprayed on what you don't want. So vinegar, a little bit of soap and water sprayed onto the green leaves of a plant you do not want in your garden. When it's not windy, because, of course, the spray will will potentially kill anything. And um, if it's a hot and sunny day, it will definitely uh, even be better because vinegar and soap and water on plants is very stressful. So a young plant on a hot, sunny day with very little wind sprayed with that kind of a solution should turn yellow. Will it die immediately? Probably not. But if, if a couple of sprays, two, three sprays, it will die. So you can do that yourself, in terms of spot spraying. But honestly, to avoid clover, to avoid dandelions, to avoid any of those weeds in your lawn that you don't want, the best thing to do is think about how can I make my turf grass, where I do want my lawn happy. So what am I going to do to make my turf grasses happy? I'm going to fertilize my lawn. I'm going to encourage the grass to grow. I'm going to always mow at a three inch height, seven and a half centimeters high that way the grass is happier because it likes that length it likes the shade on the soil from the 3 inch blades standing up so we don't have stressed out grasses so happy grass means means thick and uh, sort of energized and vigorous grass and that means weeds can't move in so look after your turf grasses water properly you know fertilize and mow at the right height with a sharp mower happy grass, fewer weeds. That's my motto for the day.
1: Okay, and you know what? I agree with you, Charlie. I'd r- rather like clover on a lawn, but uh, there, as you've said, uh, Aldina, probably just is not gonna be convinced <laughs> to leave that alone. <laughs> uh, have a note here from uh, Gord Nichols says, um, Hi, Charlie. I have a catalpa tree that's covered in powdery mildew every year. I've decided to get rough. <laughs> What's the best way to free my tree
2: from this blight? Thanks so much, Gord. <laughs> I know, that's so funny. He's gonna get rough. Yeah. Uh, okay, so okay, so here's, the, here's the scoop, Gord. Powdery mildew is unsightly, but powdery mildew does not really affect the health of any trees at all it's not a, a, a big deal it's not going to kill the tree yeah okay so the leaves are a little like not very pretty but so it goes the, 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 like I said there's no no chance that that powdery mildew is going to kill the trees so okay main thing to remember when we do have that's a mildew right powdery mildew is a mildew or a fungus uh, on the plant so what can we do to avoid fungal diseases on our plants If we're in a position to be buying and planting anything in our gardens, always look for varieties that are resistant to diseases like powdery mildew. You know, Catalpa is a tree that I don't think of as being highly susceptible. And yet, if you were starting again, you would probably want to look for a tree specifically that is resistant, so genetically resistant to powdery mildew. Remember, as well, we get we have mildew and fungal problems when plants are crowded together when we have <clears throat> poor air circulation or poor sun penetration into plants, we end up with mildew problems. you know lilacs this seems to happen now the environment also helps high humidity, hot temperatures, lots of rain, lots of gray skies will also contribute to mildew problems, so you can 't control the environment, but you can control. Air and sun penetration into your plants. Um, and remember as well, avoid, one of the ways to avoid fertilizer, mildews as well is do not fertilize unless a soil test indicates that you have some kind of nutrient deficiency. Because what happens, of course, is when we do fertilize, we uh, encourage new growth. So we get lots of young shoots. So that's the, you know, very sweet, very succulent, very soft growth. So I was mentioning earlier to, you know, our tulip growers. That it's good to fertilize because you want to encourage those bulbs to fatten up. But the other, the flip side of that coin is when we do fertilize, we get soft new growth, and it's the soft new growth that is most susceptible to any of the mildews and aphids. As <laughs> on, as another aside, so keep that in mind. You know, there's a, a cost benefit to almost everything. So fertilizing has its its upside, but the downside is that we do end up potentially. Uh, creating an environment where the, the mildews will grow. So in, in the case of gourd, I think it's really open things up. I think you've got to do some thinning. You've got to open it up so there's better air circulation within that tree or around that tree to avoid the mildew in the future. Alrighty. Okie dokie.
1: Just a reminder, you're listening to a show that was recorded last Tuesday morning. And how it goes is that uh, on Monday evenings, Charlie sends me all the emails that you folks have sent in, so I have a chance to print them off. And I always look forward to a little comment from Charlie with a question. And our question on this one says, Charlie adds, this one is a riot. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) it actually comes in from Keith. (laughs) from North Lake Tahoe, California. Says, um, hi Charlie, I have a corn plant that was getting too tall for my sunroom, hmm. so I caught off the top and put it in my fish tank. The roots are getting long and white. They're very happy with the fish waste and oxygen from the air stone. My question is, how do I transition this into soil? Oh, there you go. That's,
2: that's a great one, eh? It's yeah, yes. a very good question. We have never had that question before. I love it. I love new, new stuff. All right, so um, Frank, I don't know if you've ever heard of aquaponics. You ever heard of that? Aquapon- uh, g- growing
1: things in water,
2: correct? Well, correctly. that's hydroponics. So hydroponics is growing things in water. Oh, uh, Aquaponics that's- is growing things in fish tanks. So, well, not necessarily. So what it is, it's, as you know, fish are swimming around in their tanks of water, and they're uh, defecating into the water. Uh-huh. Well, of course, there's nitrogen, and, well, there's nitrates in what comes out of them, and if there's plants growing in that water, the plants can utilize the nitrates that are in what the fishes is um, emitting so <clears throat> it is kind of a, a trend a lot of it's you can make a kind of an interesting cycle where the and the fish and the plants and everybody's feeding off each other it's quite a nice little symbiotic relationship but um for keith's purposes you know what i would do i i wouldn't worry about it at all i know i i have believed and been told and learned way back at university that when you grow a plant in water, the roots that will grow in water are different roots than what will grow in soil. So that if you do try to uh, transition something from a water-based uh, jar or fish tank into soil, new roots are going to have to grow. And yet, uh, in my searching this out lot uh, yesterday, I can't find any uh, real proper academic papers on that being the truth at all. So what I would do is find yourself a proper sized pot. So remember, you know, you don't want to give it a big massive pot. You want to get a proper sized pot. Make sure there's drainage holes, of course, in that pot. Pre-moisten some potting soil, uh, fill, you know, some potting soil into the pot. Get that plant, that Drasina, that corn plant out of the fish tank and into the pot. Of course, fill in the spaces around the roots with your nice, moist, fresh, sterile potting soil, press it all together gently and water really well. So watering really thoroughly is gonna get water into the air spaces between all those particles of soil and and really settle those roots in and make sure water runs out of the drainage holes of the pot. And of course then don't let the pot sit in water, dump the saucer out after 10 minutes or so. And then your challenge is is to take that newly potted corn plant and put it in a spot in your home where the light levels are similar to what they were in the aquarium. So whether it was a bright spot or an indirect bright spot, uh, just keep your light levels similar to what they were placing the pot in that location and wa- like let it dry down between waterings and water as necessary. And it should be fine. It shouldn't be like a big deal at all for the dracaena to jump <laughs> from a fish tank into a pot. But, you know, you'll have to TLC it, keep an eye on it, and remember to turn it 180 degrees every week or so.
1: Well, thank you. That from Keith in North Lake Tahoe, California. And I would venture to say that with our temperature today, we're into a heat wave. Uh, Temps are going to be up to around the 30-degree mark, but it'll feel like about 35 Celsius, what with the humidity factor. So we're probably matching whatever Keith's enjoying there in California. Uh, We've got to take a little break uh, right about now, so we will return in moments
0: Charlie Dobbin, it's the Garden Show on Zuma Radio. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got the Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zuma Radio. Well, Charlie, we've got a neat note
1: here from Jill DeLong. And she says, uh, Hi, Charlie, I love your show. I've attached a picture of my double file viburnum planted last year, first week of June, location North Huron. Now we're directly west of Kitchener. And the question is now that it's finally starting to leaf out, should I prune off the leafless ends or the tips? If so, is it something I should do now or uh, on a dry day or wait a while to see if more leaves? Will appear. Now, what do you have to say to Jill?
2: Uh, Great question. I love the picture. (laughs) Very clear information here that uh, Jill has provided. So this is a double-file viburnum, proper name that I noticed you jumped over. Viburnum placatum (laughs) tomentosum merisi. It's a beautiful shrub. I love this shrub. So the answer to the question is get out your sharp pruners right now, assuming it's a dry day when you're listening to the show, and prune down to the green. So you see little green leaves, you see dead stuff that's died over the winter, follow down, trim off nice and clean with sharp pruners, very slight angle, you don't want to ever do flat parallel to the ground cuts because water will sit on those cuts and can potentially start to rot into the stem. So very slight angle, so rain will wash off of the, the cut ends and that's going to really cause the, the leaves to, to pop. You're going to suddenly fill right out. So get on that right now and it's going to be a beautiful shrub. So good for you. I'm very jealous. <laughs> okay. Hey, we've got a
1: really neat note here uh, from Carmen Harris Peru. She said, uh, says, uh, hi, we're so glad to listen to your shows every Saturday morning from Montevideo, Uruguay, South America. And we have a international- beautiful tropical garden here, huh? I was just saying, this is the
2: international show we're having. Yeah,
1: well, thank you for that note, Carmen. Nice to uh, hear from you. And I understand from your note, you're going to be back soon here in Toronto. We'll be glad to welcome you back. And hey, next time around, maybe uh, we'll get together for a coffee.
2: Yeah, and I'd love to hear more about your beautiful tropical garden." I imagine Carmen has maybe was visiting family in Uruguay and then got stuck. Uh, when the borders closed. Well, maybe she could
1: send send a um, a picture of, of uh, her spot there. That'd be great.
2: Yeah, that'd be cool. So, go for it. So, thank you very much, Carmen. Lovely to hear from you. Here's a
1: note from Anne Cavanaugh. Hello, Charlie. For Mother's Day, one of my daughters-in-law gave me some lovely potted daffodils. What do I have to do to make them bloom again in my garden? Thank you, Anne.
2: All right. Anne, good question. Well, I imagine the daffodils have finished flowering. So, again, you're going to keep those daffodil bulbs alive with green leaves for 6-8 to eight weeks after they finish blooming. You're going to water as appropriate, put them in a sunny spot, either in a window or outside and allow them to do their thing. Slowly but surely the green leaves are going to turn yellow and at that point you're just going to tuck them somewhere out of sight and forget about them for the for the rest of the summer. So what I would usually do is I'll put them because you won't want them to get wet. Once they're, they've they gone dormant and they're still in the pot, allow them to just sit somewhere where they're, they're dry, basically. And later in the summer, when you're in the mood, go outside, take them out of the pot, separate them. They're jammed into that pot. Remove those those yellow leaves if they're still there. And then bury those daffodils under the ground. Deeper than they were in the pot and don't allow the bulbs to touch each other when you put them back, when you put them in the ground and they'll come up next spring and bloom in your garden. They will not bloom again in the pot. So that's the challenge. Any bulbs that have been forced in a pot and you've loved them inside your home must go out into the garden in order to survive. If if you can't do that, if you only have, you know, say a balcony or whatever, then um, compost the bulbs. But if you can get them out into the ground, for sure, they'll, they'll be beautiful and come up no problem next year.
1: Okay. Uh, well, I have a, a neat question here from Margaret Woolsey. But uh, before I read it, I've got, I got to pass along a little note that Charlie uh, inserted here. It says, sorry, got distracted by Elliot, who's on a window-cleaning frenzy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that broke me up. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know, Frank, if you were waiting. Like, you, you know how I forward emails to you and, and I can see you're sitting there yeah. tapping your fingers going, okay, come on, come on. That's only. <laughs> Where's the next yeah, one? Yeah, where yeah. Is, where is <laughs> it? So I thought, oh, God, you're going to be like, you know, getting frustrated. So that's why, I, you know, half an hour <laughs> went by before I sent you another one. And then, of course, as it turns out, you were partying like a crazy man because it was your birthday. And you weren't even paying any attention to my emails.
1: That's, well, that's true too. Uh, Anyway, I better get back to this question from (laughs) Margaret Woolsey. Says, uh, as many this year, I'm adding veggies to my gardening. I have potatoes growing in uh, grow bags interspersed in the garden. Have gone to YouTube for some informational videos. am now a YouTube convert. (laughs) My question is about what to use to protect my plants from Japanese beetles and blight. And one site mentioned neem oil, but I believe that's not available in Canada. What can I spray with? Thanks, Margaret.
2: Okay. so that's a it's a good question, Margaret. Uh, and you're right. I think a lot of people are growing some edibles this year that weren't. So growing potatoes. Potatoes are definitely uh, quite susceptible. Not so much to the Japanese beetles, more to something called the Colorado potato beetle, though so very similar. Any of those beetles, whether it's the Col- the Colorado potato beetle has stripes. It's got, it's like um, brown and white stripes on its back, whereas the Japanese beetles. Are like a piece of jewelry they're very beautiful actually iridescent green and copper and and uh you know it's good looking uh bugs as far as i'm concerned but you can't really do anything preventative to keep those insects off uh you can hand pick many people will do that every morning they go outside little empty tuna fish can or whatever soup can a little bit of water in it and a drop of oil or drop of soap and you hand pick you just pick up any beetles you see on the leaves of your potatoes you drop them into that can they can't get out they will drown Uh, birds remember will also uh, look after some of these beetles so that can help Look for plants that are attract that will attract beneficial insects. So there's lots of good bugs out there and a few bad bugs. Alyssum is a, a flowering annual that's an excellent excellent um, attractant for beneficial insects. So consider uh, planting some plants like that around your potatoes. Um, bottom line, if you are going to spray, if you do see that you're just overwhelmed with some of these beetles, you can try spraying something like Bug Be Gone, but spray early in the day at dawn or at dusk. Uh, and the idea is that you don't want to harm any beneficial insects that could be on your potatoes. So you're going to spray very early or very late with something like Bug Be Gone. And then my other suggestion is floating row covers. It's kind of like cheesecloth. You You run it Uh, over top of the plants and of course it goes down the sides people often use little um uh sort of almost hoops to hold the covers up above the plants and air can get through sun can get through uh, rain can get through but bugs can't get through and it is an excellent way to protect some of our more edible plants so uh yeah just visit those potatoes often a couple times a day and hand pick
1: Okay, uh, we're up to our next break here, final break of the show, as a matter of fact. But uh, Charlie Dobbin, our Master Gardener, will return in moments here on Zoomer Radio.
0: Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxclubs, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, Stalks, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet Williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio.
1: Well, Charlie Dobbin, I've got a note here from Joy Lambert. And uh, you said, yeah, another potato question, laugh out loud. Dear Charlie and Frank, yesterday we planted potatoes, tomatoes, and the first rows of corn. Then it rained this morning just to water them down. Lucky us. My problem is the darn potato bug, which emerges up the stems as soon as any sprouts show through the earth. I've tried collecting and drowning the little devils, but that's not a great way to spend your summer. We also tried diatomaceous earth with no help. Hmm. Please discuss. Uh, Oh, she says, I'm Frank's friend from Virgil. I I think I met Joy at the Virgil Stampede, which is a little town just uh, outside of St. Catharines. Yeah, indeed.
2: I love it. The Virgil Stampede. That's like Holstein, Ontario. They have they have. That's right. So uh, right. Okay. so Joy is asking the exact same question. that Our last question from Margaret was, planting potatoes and what about those potato beetles so joy indicates she has the diatomaceous earth should work on the grubs or the the little see before the colorado potato beetle becomes a beetle it is a smaller softer uh animal that is should be able to be annihilated with diatomaceous earth so that is worth putting on the soil around the stems of the potatoes when they're young to try and control the potato beetles when they're young but you know what I go back to what I just said to Margaret, right? Hand pick, encourage birds, encourage uh, plants, and bottom line, maybe some floating row covers might work for Joy as a way to truly, truly protect those potatoes. Um, but also going back, I never finished my, my full answer for Margaret was worried about blight because she saw on YouTube that potatoes will often get a blight, which is a fungal disease. So just a, a quick update on that what does blight look like it's when you get brown black spots on the leaves so this is not at this time of year this would be later more like july it does spread very quickly if this fungus arrives in your garden as soon as you see anything that looks like blight cut out the diseased foliage Do not keep it on the property. Do not put it in the composter and do not um, use your contaminated pruners. If indeed you are using pruners to cut out diseased foliage, make sure you're cleaning those pruners in between. If there's just too much in the way of spots, when you do see this blight, you may have to just harvest the plant immediately. Because if the plant is all covered in brown and black spots, start harvesting right away. Keep in mind there are disease-resistant potato varieties out there. So blight-resistant varieties. Choose those when you're out shopping for seed potatoes in the spring. And a couple other things just in terms of fungal diseases in general. Avoid wetting the foliage if you can, particularly late in the day. Only do your watering early in the day. And, And practice good garden hygiene. So any evidence of any kind of fungal issues on any parts of any plants... Do not leave that those plant parts around. Get them off the ground, get them right out into the garbage. All right, so that's that's two in one. Margaret and Joyce finished up. Okay.
1: And I'm surprised you didn't comment and congratulate me on getting through diatomaceous without completely fouling that word
2: up. That was good, actually. I almost should have <laughs> yeah. said something.
1: Yeah. Well, fact- I, I was <laughs> expecting some <laughs> sort of medal. Yeah, anyway. Did you practice we- that in advance or what I I, I did not. I hit that coldness, but holy mackerel, I got lucky there. Okay, we've got one final question we'll try and uh, deal with here in the last few moments of the show. Uh, from Aaron Smith. Uh, let's see. Hi, Charlie. I have many streptocarpus I overwintered that are all healthy and green but no flowers. I've resumed fertilizing but no flowers. Any suggestion and how did I do with the pronunciation there? Wow.
2: Well done. Uh, my goodness. Well poof. How about that? These are multi syllabic <laughs> words and they're just rolling off your tongue. <laughs> Good on you. All right, so Strachocarpus is the proper name, yeah. commonly known as Cape, Cape Primrose. It's a cousin of yeah. African violets, native to the forested mountains of Africa. It does prefer cool temperatures and dappled or bright indirect light so just a couple of tips uh, that might help aaron use african violet soil if you're doing any potting remember to plant these high these we plant them proud so plant them a little bit high in the pot so that because you they're very susceptible to root rot so use clay pots to avoid too much moisture around those those poor little roots Consider a tray of gravel underneath the plant as a way to add humidity in the winter. So you keep water in the gravel. Plants are sitting up on top uh, and you've just got that extra moisture around the plants. When you do water, water with lukewarm water. Don't get the leaves wet ever. Uh, Cool temperatures are optimal, believe it or not. 60, 70 during the day, but down around 10, 10, 12, 13 Celsius or 55 overnight. So cool nights just as part of that's their native habitat. And continue with your monthly fertilizing, high phosphorus fertilizer every month, spring to fall, and allow them to be root bound. Root bound will help force flower. So don't be too quick to transplant and crush your fingers. And as they get more mature and more root bound, they will flower. All right. Okay. All righty.
1: We have a note from Jennifer Kehoe we can't deal with today, but just a promise that next week you're going to be first out of the gate there, Jennifer, (laughs) as you listen in at the Garden Show. We're just fresh out of time, Charlie. We
2: are. It goes fast, eh?
1: Yeah, I'll tell you.
2: Thank you, Frankie. Couldn't do any of this without you. Appreciate all your help, and and I hope you, you had a wonderful birthday, and the whole month is yours. Indeed it did. Thank you. And thank you, Joel. Couldn't do any of this without you. Keep those email coming. C.Dobbin at mzmedia.com. See you all again next week.
0: This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads.